Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Daniel Brenzel, helping us to live a life of prayer in response to God. We can pray not only in response to Scripture, we should we should be reading Scripture, it's God's words spoken to us, and you respond to a word spoken with your own words of, of, of answer. Um, um, so we can pray in response to Scripture, but but it's a it's a it's an interesting word of God to us. It's a it's a pastorally kind and loving word to us, which gives us also some words to pray. <laughs> so it's not just that we pray in response to Scripture. There are many Scriptures that we can actually pray. The Psalms are the classic example. Daniel Brenzel next. If you're disappointed by your current life of prayer, Dr. Daniel Brenzel invites you into an expansive and exuberant life of response to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Brenzel is a Presbyterian pastor in Minnesota and author of Answering Speech, The Life of Prayer as Response to God. Dr. Brenzel, it seems like there have been many books written on prayer through the years, so what are your motivations for writing this book on prayer? You're exactly right. There's tons that have, has, have been um, written and reflected upon on prayer in, in the history of, of Christian reflection. Um, my, my goal wasn't so much to try to rehash all that or to be kind of a, a um, one-stop shop for all things prayer. Um, my goal is really to try to use prayer more as a, as, a, as a lens through which to see other elements of the Christian life and how that in, in, in many ways um, um, gives us better focus on, on life as, as part of a church, uh, life in, in relation to the Word of God. Um, and so, so it really is, even though it is a book on prayer, it's, it's, it's looking through prayer to the rest of our life and not at prayer and what is prayer. Okay. Well, well I'm certainly looking forward to that. And I, I do want to ask right at the top here, because I would imagine that most people listening to this, uh, especially Christian people, know that they should pray, they want to pray, Certainly, they all pray on to some extent, but most people, if you press them, I think would say, well, I, I should pray more. So, n knowing the privilege, and we're going to talk about that, that prayer is, why is it such a battle or a challenge for so many of us? What, that was one of the kind of shepherding desires I had as I was writing this. I, I just wanted to encourage Christians who felt that way, <laughs> um, and, uh, and 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 maybe just uh, wanted to encourage myself because I feel that way constantly. You know? <laughs> and, and so, what, what resources are there in the gospel for mm -hmm. for 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 that kind of struggle? It is a struggle for a number of different reasons. One of the most significant nowadays, and this is one of the things I try to tackle head on and literally chapter after chapter in the book, one of the most important reasons that's a struggle is because we think we have to get prayer going. And we, we think, okay, I got to come up with the right things to say. I got I to gotta conjure up the right amount of fervor emotionally. I've got to know the right things to ask for. And, and all of this kind of self-starting orientation toward prayer, mm -hmm. uh, which is one, exhausting, but also, too, it's a, it's a little wrongheaded in, in, in the nature of prayer in general. And so the, the fundamental baseline of this book is that prayer is answering speech. You start in prayer not first by figuring out what to say, but first by listening. And only in listening do you come up, will, will, will an answer then begin to percolate? And so what does that mean to listen to God then? And, and that, mm -hmm. that entails a number of different things. One of the primary early focuses of the book is, is it means listening, paying attention to the to the Word of God, the written Word of God, but it also includes listening, paying attention, receiving from the um, the 
corporate people of God, the church of God, and the discipleship that comes in the life of prayer through through that um, um, involvement and membership and, and relationship. What, what does that look like? Is that are, are you are you talking about praying for uh, the needs of other people in the church, or that's got to be part so, of it? So, in in terms of the discipleship aspect. It, comes from learning from the regular corporate worship, for example, which is if, if you think about a corporate worship service, at its best, what it is, is a dialogue covenantally corporately with God. God speaks his, his um, uh, initiating word, um, the call to worship. He, he speaks the law. He speaks the, the um, proclamation of the word and preaching. And at each point, the church together is responding to that. They are to the call to worship. They are responding with their songs of worship to the to the to the reading the law. They are humbled and they acknowledge their sin. They confess. They respond with 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 confession of sin. In the word of the gospel, they are they bubble up with joy and they break out in songs of praise. At each stage, God's initiating word leads to an answer from the congregation. That's discipleship in the life of prayer. Uh, I, I've spent most of my life growing up thinking, oh, I'll go, I'm going to church, I'm going to church, I'm going to church. And then when I get into my prayer closet, I think, okay, what do I need to do, which is somehow all separate from everything I've been doing in church. Mm -hmm. And at, at its best, no, what I'm doing in church is actually discipleship so that when I get to my prayer closet, I have some, um, some already some categories in place on the types of things God says and does and the types of ways I can respond to him. Um, and so, so that's one way in which life in the church is part of discipleship in the life prayer uh, that, that also involves praying with other people, wise prayer warriors who who, who kind of walk alongside us and, and give us some tips and counsel and encouragement. Um, um, it means, it means read, I mean, this, this book is really just an effort to try to disciple people. And so reading books on prayer is part of that discipleship as well. Um, but all of that comes from a receptivity, not a kind of self-starting starting point. Um, so, so one of the, one of the chapters begins with, with the line, uh, your prayer life is better than you think it is hmm. if you're regularly involved in the life of the church. I wanted to ask you too. Well, first, so you're saying prayer is our response, just like your book says, answering speech. God is the initiator. We are responding mm -hmm. to, well, to the word. Of course, he's spoken to us uh, in, in, in the word, uh, and he, he speaks to us from the pulpit, uh, in the sermon in church, and, and through other believers, obviously. And so, what does it mean? You, you, you definitely stress that prayer is Trinitarian. It involves mm -hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and can, can you help us understand that? What, is that? what does that mean? What does that look like? The epilogue in the book, which really could have been the introduction, <laughs> is, is this recognition that when we pray to God um, in Jesus' name, we are, we are being taken up into the prayer that Jesus, the, the, the Word made flesh, has always been answering to the Father. That's the fundamental reason we don't need to come up with the right words to say. We are identified with Christ who does have the right word, is the right word to say. And so, so the, the gift of the gospel is, is absolutely the gift of the gospel is forgiveness of sins, justification um, by faith. And it is, um, as, as um, James Torrance says, and I quote him at the end of the book, but it is also that God gives us the life of prayer in Christ. And so when we join united to Christ by faith, by the power of the Spirit, we are our prayers are actually taken up into the the eternal kind of communication that's been going on between Father and Son uh, from from eternity past. And so, Trinity, 
sectarian prayer is is really the only prayer there is. <laughs> that any anytime you pray, even if you don't necessarily use the words to the Father in the Son by the power of the Spirit, um, you're still praying. The only p- way you can pray is because the Father has granted the Son to give give the right word back to Him, and by the power of the Spirit, you're united to that Son. The Trinity is 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 a crucial starting point, and what the what God, Father, Son, and Spirit has accomplished in the Gospel is kind of the foundation for confidence that we can have in prayer. And really closely related to that is praying in Jesus' name. Yep, and and that's and that's that's the foundation of kind of boldness in prayer, right? Um, that, that, that you asked at the outset, what what um, why can it be sometimes hard? Mm-hmm. Well, one of many reasons, in addition to what I've already said, that it can be hard is because we're always unsure. Well, is God going to respond well to what I'm saying here? Is, he, is this the right thing to ask for? And 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 that will always we will always be doubting and second guessing that unless we know, unless we know that there is a place where all God's promises are yes. It's in Christ, and we are praying in that Christ, our Lord and Savior. Well, my guest today is Dr. Daniel Brenzel. He uh, pastors uh, First Presbyterian Church in Hinckley, Minnesota. We're talking about his new book, Answering Speech, The Life of Prayer as Response to God. And uh, I'm wondering, uh, Dr. Brenzel, you say that prayer is uh, something that we can do, obviously, in, in alone. We know that. We can, it's done corporately. A- and yet, you say, even when we are praying alone, in one sense, we we're really not praying alone. We're, it's part of the shared life of the what you call the whole city of God. Mm-hmm. We're, we're mm-hmm. always praying in that in that sense with other people, even when we're alone in our prayer closet. We could kind of come at it from from the angle of Christology. If we're in Christ, we are united to Christ and part of the body, the whole body, whether we see it or not. Right? Um, it, we could come at it from the angle of of ecclesiology and intercessory prayer. Um, even when I'm not praying, I'm part of a praying body globally that that um, is is interceding on, on on my behalf. We all we we use the language, at least in the kind of churches and traditions I come out of. We use the language often of of prayer warriors, mm-hmm. like a prayer warriors who have this ministry of prayer and they're praying constantly. I'm benefiting from that. I would not call myself a prayer warrior. I want to become one, but praise God, and I thank God in Christ that there are those that are upholding me and the rest of this congregation that I'm part of um, in prayer constantly. Um, when I'm asleep, there's 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 churches uh, and believers on the other side of the globe praying. When when they're asleep, I'm praying. So so there's you're constantly being upheld in this in this um, um, mutual intercessory ministry, and quite apart from the ecclesial side of it. The Spirit is interceding with groans too deep for words within us, and Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us all the time. We are, this is another reason why I say uh, our prayer life is better than we think it is, because we're not the only one whose prayers matter. (laughs) (laughs) What is meant by prayer warrior? What does that look like? Do we see that in Scripture? I haven't thought about where the language of prayer warrior might arise from. I guess uh, it's always just been a vague assumption that it's related to kind of spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. But yeah, good question. I'll have to think about that more. If there's kind of a more specific grounding, I, I would think of it. I think of it in terms of kind of um, a, a constant intercession mm. that that is happening 
Um, it's part of the logic, I think, of of the in some traditions the um, the daily offices of prayer, the, the seven hours of prayer throughout the day. Like there's a constantly praying church, even if even and this was part of at least in, in its better modes, part of the logic of of kind of the monast early monastic movements. Hmm. We have some young mothers in our church. <laughs> they don't have time to be doing right. going away, living in the desert, praying. But but there are some who are upholding the church like that, right? And and there there is a daily office that's always going on, even when I'm having to change the diapers or I'm having to do yard work or I, you know, what um, if I'm if I'm a janitor in, in a school and like I, I'm not able to do that, but I'm part of a body that's being upheld by that. Um, so that's part of the logic of it, and 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 so I've tended to think of prayer warriors as as kind of a a. a uh, an analog in traditions that don't kind of have the the offices of prayer and 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 monastic influence and so. Uh, and in terms of and this is just sort of this may seem uh, even a little bit trivial, but in terms of postures of prayer, I mean, obviously, you typically, you know, when you see it, it prayer depicted in a painting, you see people kneeling the the bible talks certainly kneeling is there um and in church tradition and so forth but there's also that idea well in scripture as well to pray without ceasing which sounds very difficult w- what about that is is there a, a a right or wrong way uh to pray or is it acceptable to just you just your life is prayer and you're praying from beginning to end or is or is it something like you see Jesus, of course, going away by himself on the mountain before dark, so on, to pray uh, alone. Yeah, I I think that there's probably uh, value in thinking of differing modes of the praying life. Pray without ceasing, uh, many acknowledge, um, probably means something along the lines of kind of be prayerfully attentive wherever you're at all the time. It doesn't mean, doesn't necessarily mean take up one specific posture and in one specific place all the time. Um, um, and so there's a kind of prayerful mindedness. There's a kind of practicing, to, to use an old spiritual classic, a practicing of the presence of God um, that, that can happen in terms of just kind of orientations, the, the habits of our thoughts. Um, it's 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 helpful. It's crucial, not just helpful. It's crucial and fundamental, as as I want to argue in the book, that our prayer life is rooted in and 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 kind of arises out of um, a corporate prayerfulness, gathering for corporate Lord's Day worship. Um, so that's part of our prayer life. There is a regular kind of um, kind of a dailiness of prayer. I, I, I encourage in the book practices a morning and evening prayer, praying the Lord's prayer in the morning, giving thanks in the evening, um, kind of a, a regular daily rhythm. I think it's helpful to, to, to have, you know, every now and then, maybe maybe once one morning a month, a more extended time, a prayer retreat of sorts, as, as it were, where, where you are, are um, uh, spending more, exer- more time um, consciously um in adoration or uh, these adoration is one of the things that, that most frequently gets gets uh, the short shrift uh, unfortunately so we need to carve out time specifically for that so so i, I think it's helpful to think in, in various modes of prayer in those modes certain bodily postures are helpful and and, and make sense um or or for certain types of prayer uh there are some traditions when 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 in the confession of sin you would kneel it's a, it's a position of penitence that that makes some sense and there's a kind of logic, a bodily logic that 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 pulls our praying hearts, as it were, through the posture of the body. It's similar to the logic of fasting. Fasting is kind of embodied prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that your body contributes to to the prayers of your hearts and saying, "I hunger for you, God." Um, um, uh, there, there, there is in in interestingly, for example, in the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel's in exile um, in in uh, Babylon. The temple is destroyed, and yet he's still three times a day at set times and with a posture where he kneels and faces Jerusalem. <laughs> that, that's how he's praying. And I think there's a bodily logic to that. That there's, a, there's a, a, At very least, it's an acknowledgement that I, to, to get to the earlier conversation we had, there's a bodily acknowledgement that this prayer, praying of mine, it, though it's alone here in my room, it's not alone. It's it's. It's with all those who are looking toward Jerusalem and where the presence of God once was. <laughs> and um, so, so the, the body very much contributes to the logic of the prayer. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't want to discount the importance of what we do with our bodies. But I also think that there's a lot of things we do with our bodies that has certain meaningful um, order in, in differing contexts and in, in differing types of praying. Well, the book is Answering Speech, The Life of Prayer as Response to God. My guest is the author, Dr. Daniel Brenzel. And uh, we've talked about this a little bit, and uh, uh, obviously it seems most of the time when people are praying, whether it's in church or otherwise, it's usually uh, or often for for people's health, for, uh, you know, those kind of challenges, which is completely understandable because we're in bodies that – uh, that, that that have health issues, or we have accidents and illnesses, and all of that. But but what what else for those that might be wondering? Well, when I set aside some time to pray, what uh, what what else would you suggest that people would spend? Yeah. Uh, so a, a huge thing that that I, I want to emphasize um, uh, very much from from the book is is that um, um, we can pray not only in response to scripture. We should, we should be reading scripture. It's God's word spoken to us, and you respond to a word spoken with your own words of, of, of answer. Um, um, so we can pray in response to scripture, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting word of God to us. It's a, it's a pastorally kind and loving word to us, which gives us also some words to pray. <laughs> so it's not just pray in response to scripture. There are many scriptures that we can actually pray. The Psalms are the classic example. And so I find when I, when I pray the Psalms, I pray a lot of things that I'm not inclined to pray on my own. (laughs) And so um, some of them, some of them are the value we might say of, of praying the Psalms becomes very obvious. For example, praying for the persecuted um, across the the globe. Uh, I might not be inclined to do that on my own. If I'm just worried about my own problems or my own felt needs, but when I pray for those who are being slaughtered like sheep all day long, um, when I groan along with them in the words of the Psalms, I'm reminded this is part, this should be part of my prayer life. It is part of my prayer life as I'm praying these Psalms. There are some Psalms that are very uncomfortable to pray, whether they are the, the um, um, imprecatory Psalms or Psalms of lament. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it, it, those are important to pray too, because it forces me theologically to try to understand what is the nature of God's judgment and righteousness. How could how could the psalmists pray according to their blamelessness and righteousness? I know I sh- I can't pray that way. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I need to I need to be forced in that uncomfortable to, to think theologically about what God is doing in the world and what I need um, and who I must be praying in if 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 these are words that I could take up on my lips. Um, and so so praying the the scriptures, praying the Psalms especially, is an important part of stretching my prayer life beyond just what I might feel comfortable praying. Um, and uh, and so that's that's a practice that that I really highly commend. In, in the book, it's a practice that we try to do in our congregation regularly. We have just regular recitation of the Psalms. We just work through it in our evening prayer service. We just work through the Psalter, praying them together, reciting them, um, um, spending some time potentially where there's where there's difficulty asking, what is why are we praying this? How could that, how could we pray this as 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 um, sinners who who might not be experiencing these particular types of things and 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 those are um, important parts of of growing and, and stretching in the life of prayer uh calvin, calvin calls the psalms um an anatomy of the soul he says the psalms name are right everything that goes on in our lives um the the divine maker of us knows what we're what we're like how we're knit together and the psalms give voice to that when i'm used to naming my problems in life as you know, it's it's my it's my neighbor's fault, or it's my kid's fault, or it's my wife's fault, or it's your fault. What I read in the Psalms, and and the Psalms continually say, God, why have you done this to us? <laughs> and yeah. I'm used to my problems are fundamentally all you all, but really my problem fundamentally is something wrong in my relationship with God, and I need to see. I need to recognize that. I need to recognize his sovereignty. I haven't taken sovereignty over my life seriously. I come in a, in a church that believes highly in the sovereignty of God, but I don't think we take his sovereignty in our lives seriously. And the psalmist force us to do that. Um, they, they, they reveal more of reality, more of my soul, more of my challenge, more of my need than I'm inclined to acknowledge in my if, if it were just up to me praying. Well, you've uh, raised a question, I think, that's perennially asked. And of course, sometimes people may ask it and not be sincere in asking it. But if it's sincerely asked, it seems like a good question. Why should we pray if God sovereignly ordains all things? Why should we pray if God is sovereign, if he is in control over everything? He doesn't really need our prayers. He's going to do what he's going to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's... um. That's how I begin the book was is is with that question, um, and it's it's a it's a crucial one. It's raised frequently. I do a little bit of a um, a bait and switch with it, <laughs> um, um, because I, I believe that the question itself gets us on the wrong, starts us on the wrong foot. It 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 assumes certain understandings of reality, certain outlooks on reality that will never get us far in understanding our relationship with God. And so the the, the structure of the question, why should we pray if God's already sovereignly determined it, assumes that the reason to pray is to change God's mind. Yeah. <laughs> or, or it assumes that our prayers and God's sovereign will, they're kind of in competition by definition. And so one of them has to go. Either God's sovereign, and therefore we don't need to pray anymore, or our prayers really do something and therefore God, God's not sovereign, right? So you already start with pitting as alternatives things that aren't alternatives. So, so the question itself is almost impossible to answer on its own terms because the terms set up, a, I would say, a false outlook on reality. Mm. And so what I do right away in the, in the book, first chapter, is to say, let's ask a different kind of question. And, and, and it arises from how we see the people, the characters, the writers in scripture praying. And so what I ask in, in, in instead is, 
how could we pray with anything like fervency and boldness and confidence unless we knew God made sovereign and good promises to us as people? And so what I do is, is, is just go look at scripture after scripture after scripture. The characters in scripture are praying to God after they've heard God's sovereign purposes and promises revealed to them. And they are bold to say, God, do it. The number one example, I think, is, is in... Um, um, John 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he he prays to, to his father. It's one of the most stunning chapters in all the Bible when you get an inside look on the eternal conversation that's been going on between father and son. Uh, Jesus prays to his father. He says, Father, the hour has come. And in the gospel, according to John, the hour is this crucial appointed time, the time that God the Father has sovereignly appointed to accomplish his saving purpose in glorifying himself and his son. Right? God's sovereign purpose is to do this. And Jesus prays in John 17, Father, the hour has come, the hour when you have sovereignly been purposing to glorify yourself and me through in it, in this glorification. Therefore, Jesus says, Father, What's his prayer? It says, therefore, Father, glorify your son. Glorify me that, that I may glorify you. Jesus says, because you've been sovereignly purposing this, therefore, his supplication is do it. Mm -hmm. and, and so Jesus kind of turns it on his head. He, he doesn't say, well, God, you've been sovereignly purposing, purposing to do this. And so I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> he, he names the Father's sovereignty, and he and that's the basis for his confident, bold prayer. God, do it. Do it now, according to your word. And it just happens again and again in Scripture, where the where the the biblical prayers are praying on the basis of God's sovereignty, not in a competition with it. And you, you've pointed out in your book, Answering Speech, that it, learning to pray, learning to pray in this way that God is the initiator and we're responding, in, in some ways, it might be like learning a whole new language. <laughs> yeah, very much so, very much so. Um, and part of the reason I do that is to, is to help us see that we learn prayer, we need to learn prayer, that there is... There is potentially a, a dangerous assumption that that might be easy to fall into is is well prayer is just kind of natural right no one needs to learn how to pray it's just the instinct of the soul and just and, do it yeah exactly <laughs> and and there's there's a grain of truth in that um, mm. in in this regard um we shouldn't feel like we need to figure out every um, little nook and cranny theological nature of prayer before we open our mouths. <laughs> right? If you feel a prayer, don't don't squelch that Godward desire. Just begin begin praying. Um, however, that that grain of truth aside, we still need to learn how to do it. <laughs> um, and and um, a, a child doesn't come out of the womb of its mother knowing how to speak. And a child of God doesn't come out of the womb of the Spirit's work knowing how to speak to his Heavenly Father. Um, uh, it, it needs to be discipled in that. It needs to learn the language. And so the, I use that language to, number one, help us understand that prayer is something we learn. But then also it gives us some some analogies for, for, for realizing how we learn prayer. Well, how do you learn a foreign language? You learn it by getting some teachers, by going through some regular 
rituals and habits and and um, practices you learn it by getting other people around you who know the language well and can talk with you about it you learn it by going out in the wild and just trying it and and falling flat on your face and and um and then similarly how do you learn the life of prayer well you learn the life of prayer because certain language teachers prayer language teachers have been given by god they're called pastors uh they 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 they, they lead you in a language learning class which we call corporate worship uh, corporate worship is, is corporate prayer mm -hmm. um, they there are those around you some some much older and wiser who have learned the language well that can disciple you in it there's there's fellow learners who are who are at the same stage as you are tripping along here and there you, you go out into the wild your 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 vocation your calling and in monday to saturday and you realize the need for prayer and you begin growing in it you begin stumbling in it you begin finding some of the difficulties in it and you come back and you realize you need to learn still more and that's how you learn any language it's also how you learn the language of prayer. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Minnesota pastor Dr. Daniel Brenzel, author of Answering Speech, The Life of Prayer as Response to God. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Susan Perlman on her involvement with Jews for Jesus throughout its entire 50-year history. If something was happening that we wanted to write about, we would write a tract we call them broadsides. We would actually write them. We would print them ourselves on a, um, a mimeograph machine, uh, fold them once they dried, and then went out on the streets and handed them out. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening. <laughs>